0: Hello and welcome to a Phil Svitek podcast, a series that offers up my various insights, concepts, and findings from years of experiences, mentorship, and exploration. The episode you're about to listen to is an interview I did with Ali Nasta for another show called Open Source Knowledge. That podcast is no longer active, but the information contained in this episode is very much still relevant, which is why I want to share it with you. Interestingly enough, it was open source knowledge that served as the jumping off point for developing this podcast. Furthermore, it's a great time capsule for me and hopefully for you of where my mind was at just over a year ago. The reason I've chosen to repost this episode is because it's a great companion piece to my latest lesson, which was on budgeting. The interview you're about to listen to goes much deeper into finances so you can explore the concepts I introduced in that lesson more meaningfully. I recommend you listen to that lesson first. It's the one called Let's Talk About Money, and then return to this. But if not, well, I won't judge you or scold you. After all, you'll certainly learn something. So, please enjoy. Hello and welcome to Open Source Knowledge. I'm Phil Svitek.
1: And I'm Ali Nasta.
0: And in our inaugural episode, we deep dive into the sometimes scary world of personal finance in our part one we speak to chelsea galicia who is the head of the financially fit foundation
1: we get to talk about personal finances and how to make a budget and the right ways to actually track your money and where it's all going
0: that's right and chelsea is a very dear friend of mine i introduced her to ali and ali was just completely taken aback by all this information (laughs) so we hope you absolutely enjoy and get some good takeaways from it exploring the world of personal finance and I'm intrigued by the title financially fit so can you give us a little backstory on what that title means
2: yeah let's talk about physical fitness because we know that better right we know that the effects of gravity and time are going to make you weaker and sort of like pull you downwards right so to combat that you do exercise. You become physically fit so that you can stay healthy, strong, be able to move and such. So if we take that into money, the tendency of people is that they spend as much as if not more than they make. So it's like gravity on your money. It comes in, it goes out. But it is a phenomenon that affects everybody from college students to movie stars. The percentage of people of Americans living paycheck to paycheck, meaning they have very little savings, was like 78%. And that includes people of all income levels. It included at one point 10% of millionaires. And so great. So, so in order to combat this tendency to spend everything that you make, you become financially fit. I love that.
0: It is a it is a very unique way to look at it. So under those terms, um, Ali and I would say I would say are on different fitness levels. <laughs> you know, just even this exploration, I have different questions than you um, through our journey, and yet it's one of the interesting things. The deeper I get, the more confused I become.
2: Mm-hmm. It's designed to confuse you,
1: and it's kind of designed to not teach us either, because we go through life and then it's you wonder all these questions, and you wonder why we didn't learn it in school. Yes.
0: So what is the first step to becoming financially fit?
2: Well, first of all, understanding what personal finance is. Most of the time, people think of personal finance and they think of taxes and stock market. But personal finance is what's the process you use to deal with your mail? What's the system you have in place to make sure you pay your bills on time? How is it that you know that your money went where you wanted it to go? All of this is personal finance, and it's much more important than anything we could talk about stock market related or tax related. Although those are important too, and I'll go there with you. But starting at the really basic level is something that people overlook all the time. And we're in credit card debt as a society. We are stressed out about money. And so clearly we haven't learned enough of the foundation. Yeah, something my dad told me once, which has always stuck with me in my head. He said, you know,
1: sometimes the bigger the paycheck, the bigger the bills. And it's crazy because when he was telling me that, it's always stuck every time, you know, if I get a new job or something, I always think if you try to stay at that same level you were at that first job, you'll be fine if you continue through. Right. But if you don't and you just keep getting a nicer car and a yeah. nicer house, you're just at that same
2: level. It's called, uh, I, I think, lifestyle inflation, where it just kind of keeps going up. And you, it feels like the natural thing. Oh, you got a raise. Go get a car. But it seems so almost like second nature that nobody stops to question, wait, really? Is that... What's good for me? I know that that's going to make me look—I don't know—cool or important or whatever. But the ability to stop and think about what is important to you, aside from all the cultural and you know family pressure to live a certain lifestyle, is being financially fit. Is breaking um, through or? fighting off the forces that would have you spend money the way they want you to. Advertising, marketers, all of this stuff is what we need to build a resistance to so that we can make choices to spend based on our own values and principles and desires rather than what everybody else wants us to spend on.
0: It seems like there's a lot of definitions, right, that have to be determined and they, they, they seem very fluid in terms of the individual. How does one begin to create those definitions you know within a person's life
2: whatever definitions you you use are less important than the system that you implement and that you understand it we don't really need fancy tools to organize our mail and pay our bills and track our spending and come up with a budget and and see money in a healthy way all of that is is much more important. That flow of a process, a system that you go through each and every month is more important than becoming familiar with all the financial lingo out there. It becomes really overwhelming and you feel like, I don't know this. I must be dumb. I should leave this subject behind and go back to watching reality TV because I just don't want to confront how little I know about what are all these terms that I hear about. And so... I would not be afraid of them. Some of this industry is designed, built to intimidate you. So as much as you can, just don't let it.
0: Well, you know, I know from our perspective, right, the term budget, whenever that gets thrown around, it, it has, it might as well be a vampire and everyone's like holding yes. their cross yes. for dear life to not let this word touch them. Yes. Um, but Ali, you know, what is your feeling about budgets? Because I, you know, I'm curious then how you apply that mm-hmm. with a system.
1: Right. Because I feel like with budgets in particularly, you think of how much are my bills versus my paycheck and I can I take that entire amount and put it away? I think sometimes I think that yeah. when I don't think it needs to be that intense. Right. I would love to hear your point of view of what, what a budget should be. Should it be a certain percentage that you're putting in your savings every every two weeks or however long you get your paycheck or, or what? Because I think when I look at a budget, I, I think I need to see my bills and whatever's left over and just put that away yeah. because I just don't – I freak out. I don't want to – have what you're saying, like all this debt
2: everywhere. It just kind of freaks me out a little. Yeah. So here's the thing about budgets is that people are averse to them. I think for a couple of reasons. First, budgeting feels like cutting out all the fun. That's what a budget has come to be associated with. Just be uber responsible, live as cheaply as you can and save the rest and enjoy nothing in life. (laughs) is basically the feeling. That and or the sense that you're having to spend your money according to the way an expert tells you to. You know, you read in a book, you should spend 30% of your income on housing and 15% on this and da, 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 da. And then, so then you create a budget and your inner rebellious teen is like, F this, I work for my money. I want to spend it the way I want to spend it. And who are these people to tell me how to spend it? And I actually agree with that. So I think that the approach to budgets has been all wrong. And that if you start with first, and people kind of have a hard time with this, first getting clear what's important to you. Maybe eating out is important to you because that's where you, you know, connect with friends and family the most. you got to think for yourself. Of what is it that you really want your money to go to?
0: It's interesting because, you know, you've really put me on this notion, you know, that a budget really is a value system. Yeah. And where you see so many couples... And uh, divorce over personal finance, what it really boils down to, it's not the money, it's they're debating their values without even knowing it. And that's what I found most intriguing.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So it's hard to, you know, reconcile your values with somebody else when you don't even really understand your own. You know, there's no class about money in school. There's also no class about, you know, what are your values? And the values thing is actually a A big reason, a major contributor to why I think people are stressed out about money. Most people think that they're stressed out about money because they don't have enough of it. But I think the real reason they're stressed is because they can't spend it consistently with who they think they are, Mm -hmm. and that cognitive dissonance where you're doing something differently from what you say you are, how you believe, causes anxiety and stress. Maybe even on a subconscious level, that you know stresses us out, and we take it to mean that we need to make more money. But get clear about values. It's okay. how do you do that? I've read so many books that help me clarify. In traveling, that's helped me clarify my values. A lot of my values have been clarified when I step away from my comfort zone, so it's usually when I'm abroad. And I also incorporate what science has learned about money and happiness right there's this area of science where people research the effects of money and happiness and there's books about it or if you prefer to see it visually there's a great documentary called happy which goes around the world and sees how different people are happy and so you can derive from there ah okay what i see that these people have in common is a sense of community right? That's not, not something that we really have a lot here. It doesn't seem to be a, a value, but it's a value in most of the places where people are happy. And it's also a value in the places where people live the longest. Have you ever heard of the blue zones? These are places in the world where people have a high chance or there's a high number of them living to hundred and beyond. And one of the things that they have in common is a strong sense of community and belonging. So it's those kinds of things. Okay, you get clear on your values and And then you translate those values into how you spend your money. And then you create a budget from that. And so then your budget is a plan for how you're going to basically spend your way to happiness. You know, of course, you're going to spend some of that on savings, which doesn't immediately make sense. But if you look at it that way, that this is your own personal blueprint for your happiness path, isn't that a whole lot more exciting than, oh, I got to cut out all the, you know, makeup in my life? You know, just those things that we like to spend money on but we know that we shouldn't
1: what if it was someone that has already kind of gotten themselves in this deep dark hole of finances and they're in so much credit card debt what can you tell them to not get overwhelmed in order to get out of that hole they feel probably like there there's nothing left to do and they're just kind of stuck and they're just going to keep going down how do you get them out and how do you help them realize there is a light at the end of the
2: tunnel and then they can build happiness with building this budget and getting themselves out. So the first thing about how we get into debt is realizing that everything we do in life is the result of habits. You know, I kind of have this like roadmap to success in my mind that begins with beliefs that lead to thoughts or thoughts that lead to beliefs. And then those thoughts and beliefs lead to feelings and those feelings inspire action. And you do those actions enough and you get habits and those habits get you your results. So, this debt is the result of habits. And if you just learn Different healthier habits, you'll have a different result. So knowing that another way is possible, and it's not difficult, it's just another way. Will hopefully give somebody the, the sense that, all right, I'm I'm not just going to climb my way out of this, but I'm never going to be in this situation again. And then there is a system of how you organize your debts from a list of all of them from highest interest rate to lowest. Uh, some people like to do it the reverse way, but the most financially efficient way is to uh, pay the minimum balance on all the cards except the one with the highest interest rate. So you attack that one as much as you can, pay that one off, and then attack the next one while paying the minimum on the rest is generally the advice, not for everybody, but for most people. And then, yeah, and then it's seeing money differently, relating to it differently, understanding that you're probably just, you were at the whim of this tendency that we all have and nobody made you aware of it and nobody taught you how to fight it or become financially fit.
0: Let me ask you, know, Chelsea's been very instrumental in my growth. I will say that and I will give That's, her credit where credit is due. Thank
2: you. That's the um, best compliment ever.
0: But one thing we haven't, uh, you and I haven't touched upon as of late is I've employed a method of set it and forget it. And okay. I want to get your perspective on it because I've realized my weaknesses are such that I am not to be trusted. I am not. So if I set, if I create these automatic things of before I even see, A, see the money, let alone touch the money, it goes into the places that I know it needs to go to, whether that is, you know, for people. It could be housing. It could be this. Um, it could be my investments. It could be my savings, whatever. And then, honestly, I'm at a place psychologically where what I'm left with, and this is – I'm sure you guys won't love this term, but it's my fuck you money.
2: Okay. <laughs>
1: And I want to know more about it. what
2: this means. If that is your value in life, is to have that and live that, totally fine. I don't judge it at all. Uh, I love that you bring this up. This "set it and forget it" thing gets most people in trouble. Oh boy, we really, we really love setting it, and forgetting it. And then the problem is, is that we actually forget it. And that's how we forget to pay our bills on time. That's how we forget to keep track of where our money is going. And that's how we get totally, you know, off the rails and we wonder how we got there. Phil, you're in trouble. Except, 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 major exception, except when it comes to savings. Hmm. That is the time that I believe in set it and forget it. So at the beginning of the year, you come up with your budget You decide how much is going to go to savings, you know, and Phil's already sending stuff to investments, fine. You figure out those percentages, you figure out what dollar amount that equals based on your income, and then, yeah, go ahead and set up automatic transfers of money from checking accounts to saving accounts or checking accounts to investment accounts. That's fine. Where I don't recommend the set it and forget it is on your regular bills because then we don't look at them. Uh, we don't notice when you know companies make mistakes or when we...
0: When they raise the fee.
2: Right, exactly. We're just blind to it, and so then we're not watching. See, here's the thing. We believe at the Financially Fit Foundation that money behaves like a person people do not like to be ignored right if your friends ignored you disrespected you didn't care about you just like took you for granted how long would you stick around i wouldn't be there for long (laughs) right and money is the same way you ignore it you take it for granted neglect it it energetically acts the same way and will leave so pay attention to your money Uh, this doesn't mean that you have to like sit there and like unfold all your bills and make sure that it's all like face up and yeah that's not what i mean i mean you are mindful of the money that is in your bills that you're that is going out where is it going i mean that is the question that is the first question of personal finance which i probably should have said earlier (laughs) the first question of personal finance is where is my money going and Part about figuring out how to know where your money is going is the system that we we teach. In order to know where your money is going, you have to have a, a system of receiving your mail, whether it's physical mail or email, to know what's in your bills and then to hopefully pay that on time. And then to have a system where you track your spending so that you know where your money is going. If somebody tells you I have no idea where my money is going, they are, this might be a mean term, they are financially flabby. It is just, you. there is no way. I don't care how fancy their car is, how great their eyelashes are, the Louboutins, I don't care about any of that. I can guarantee you that if that person says, I don't really know where my money goes, they are on the edge of a nightmare. And so many people that you think are living it up and have, must have a lot of money actually don't. I mean, you talk to financial planners and, and accountants, and they'll all tell you when somebody walks into my office and they are dressed in a fancy outfit chances are they're going to be worse off than the guy who you know comes in in you know more modest attire. I don't know why that is. It just seems to be true. But that is a place to start. Where is my money going? So that leads to the next question perhaps is how do you track your spending? Is that all right if I sure. go to track your spending? Okay. So this isn't exactly glamorous, but this is how I do it. I pay all of my day-to-day expenses with one credit card. So when I get that statement, I use that to help me track expenses. Now, some people at this point say, oh, well, but my credit card company automatically tells me where my money went. It tells me how much I spent in retail and how much I spent on this side and the other. Okay, fine. But that is not making you financially fit. Those aren't the categories that matter, retail or not. Like if you go to Target, and it sticks that in retail that doesn't tell you about where your money went it's cuz there's
0: food there's clothing yeah. there's yeah. It's,
2: it, pharmacy it, needs and you know so having that breakdown like makes you feel like you're doing well but it really is pretty useless before you track your expenses you you've got to have spending categories and this trips people up because they're like i don't know which categories have there are so many ways that you can organize it. We have a you know set of recommended expense categories. Some will apply to some people, others to others. But there are some basic ones that apply to everybody, and they're pretty consistent with the tax code. And the reason for that is because my mom is an accountant, and she uses this system for both her personal and professional business stuff. And so we know that we're teaching people personal finance and most of them want to apply it to business. So if we keep the systems pretty consistent, they'll be able to make that, not that transition, but they'll be able to get a little more complicated um, and keep up with it. So you have your categories. And then I, there's a list of your categories, you know food and fun and house and car, whatever. And next to each of those categories is a number. The number itself is pretty meaningless. It could be one, two, three, four, five. It could be A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It could be freaking emojis for all I care. It, it doesn't really matter. Just a way for you to have an identification for each category. So then I go through my credit card statement and next to each purchase, I say, oh, look, um, it's Whole Foods, okay? So, what's my code for fun? Oh, it's three. That gets a three right next to it, and so on and so forth. I go down the list that way.
0: By the way, I like the uh, emoji idea because credit card fees would get the poop emoji. <laughs> I'm just saying. Exactly.
2: So that so that's how I go about it. And then you know, some of the harder ones are if you get like Target. You know, well, hopefully you remember there's two ways to go about that target. You can look at the receipt and see like, oh, I, you know, half of that was on clothes and half of that was on food. And so then you can break that down and put it in both. Or you can say, I know that I spent most of that on clothes. So even though I bought some other stuff for the house, I'm just going to put it all in my wardrobe. Depends on, on how precise you want to be, but that's what you do. You label them all and then you go back through and you add up the dollar value all the dollar values with a one next to them. That's your food, right? And then you go through and all the dollar values that have a two next to them, you add those together and you get whatever that category is fun, let's say. And you go on like that, so on and so forth until you know where all your money went. And then compare it to a standard that you have because where my money went might work for me but it might not work for you and so the part about the budget why that's so handy is that you have laid out your standard your values your goals and then you track your expenses and it's very easy this is how much I want to spend every month on food and this is how much I spent Hmm. okay I'm on track or I'm not on track now a lot of people hate budgets because in the, they feel bad about themselves if they go over. But here's the thing, you don't have to. If you go over your budget one month, then you just say, oh, okay, well, then next month I'm going to take it easier. And you just make slight tweaks so that you eventually stay within your budget. It's more emotionally... I don't know, consistent and easy and less stressful to spend your money knowing I have allocated this money for clothes. So I don't need to argue with myself. Oh, do I really need these shoes? I mean, I could, I should, it could go to savings. And then we're like stressed out about every last purchase that we make. We can't even enjoy our money because we're questioning. Every purchase. And so if you, you're, no, I'm spending according to my budget. My budget says I'm spending this much on shoes. And so I'm not gonna feel any guilt or have any concern really about buying these shoes. And so that standard you compare it to you you make you know small adjustments, and and sometimes you can you know you can go big one month. Like I remember um, one month I bought like something for my house that was like four times my monthly budget. But that doesn't mean I blow my budget. That means okay I spent a lot, and then for the next four months I'm not really getting anything for the house until I've caught back up. So it's less constraining, I think, than people think it'll be.
0: Can you also talk about the importance of part of the tracking system is people think, okay, well, my, my bank's going to pay it and whatever. I, I see the statement. But there's a comparison there because what might be $30, you get accidentally charged $300. Right. And if you're not tracking that, then all of a sudden (laughs) you've left a large chunk.
2: Yeah. You know, we tend to think of banks and credit card companies as infallible. You know, they have the latest and greatest technology and smart people working there. They don't ever make any mistakes. But that couldn't be further from the truth you know sometimes you're double charged for something maybe a merchant made a mistake maybe you're getting dinged for a fee that you don't even know about that if you knew and just made some kind of switch you wouldn't be paying that fee or you know even to the extent of thinking that a check landed in your account and then it never actually lands in your account and most people don't realize that that happened to them because they don't have a system in place to catch it. But that does happen where you go to the bank, deposit the money, you get a receipt and everything, and then you look at the statement and that money isn't there. How else would you know unless you checked? So yeah, looking at each thing and making sure that it all makes sense is really important. And when people start to ask me about stocks and taxes, I'm like, How well do you know where your money is going? How much money is leaking on, you know, fees? And some people are like, oh, whatever, it's a small fee, doesn't really matter. But there's a great quote. It's Benjamin Franklin. I hope I can quote it. Small leaks sink great ships, right? So Mm -hmm. don't say, oh, whatever, it's 5 bucks a month, doesn't really matter. I mean, think of 5 bucks a month over 10 years. Right. It'll add up. Right. And those little things that you resist and that you refuse to do are strengthening your financially fit muscles.
1: Yeah, and we have it so easy. We have apps out the wazoo. You can get any of your bank apps on your phone, and all your credit card apps. You can just download them and see each. I mean, I know I'm an avid. I check it probably way too much, but I'm always checking to see if there's things that are charged. And some, I've actually caught some fraudulent charges every now and then. Which yeah. I think if I wouldn't have caught that, then I would have
2: continued to go on. Well, some people uh, never check, right? And they don't know that usually you have a certain t- period of time that you can. Continue- test something uh 90 days 100 I think I think it's three months it might vary by credit card company or by bank Mm -hmm. but if you don't catch a mistake within that period of time they may tell you too bad man so Mm -hmm. that's why I mean that's a pretty
0: I thought you were gonna say like seven days or something like that three months is to me relatively generous yeah to be honest
2: yeah it definitely is so that's why it's something that you do every month so that you catch these things. And it's interesting that you b- brought up apps because I kind of got a lot to say on this. Do we have a second for me to go on this? Yes, yeah, so yeah, that,
0: that we definitely were going to touch upon apps, so this is a great time to do it.
2: Okay, cool. So I get lots of questions. What's the best app? As though an app is going to make them financially fit. <laughs> and here's the analogy that I use. Say you're a doctor, and you're going to perform heart surgery. I give you a scapula. That's the tool that you use to cut the person open, I think. Maybe doctors out there can correct me if I'm wrong. But because you've used the scapula and cut somebody open, have you performed heart surgery? No. Right. So people think, I use this tool, and that's it. No, no, no. You you did a part of it, you know, the... Doctor couldn't do heart surgery unless they created some kind of incision to access it, but that by itself is not the whole deal. That's not the whole system, right? And so I, I think apps can be great if they work for you. I, I, I stay away from making recommendations because different apps work for different people, but and, and I don't use them because it does just doesn't go well with the flow of the way that I've set things up. I do use a a computer software. It's some complicated accounting software that my mom uses and she just taught me how to use it, but I would never recommend it for most people. So for that reason, other software and apps might make sense for people. But I want them to understand that those apps are just a tool. They are just a segment. They are a part of the whole system. So don't forget that when you use those apps. And being financially fit is relating well, as weird as this may sound, on an emotional level to money. We don't really think about having relationships with inanimate objects, except our phones. I feel like we're all in a relationship with our phone and that makes sense to people. But if you tell people that you have a relationship to money, they kind of look at you cross-eyed. But you do, because a relationship is just how, how you relate, how what you think about, how what you believe about, what you feel about a person, how you see them, how you perceive them, how you experience them. And that can all be said for money. And most of us don't have a healthy rel- relationship with money. We have inherited sort of by by proxy by being around it a lot you know in childhood you know unhealthy habits of our caretakers and our parents disempowering phrases that they said money doesn't grow on trees we can't afford that i'm broke all these phrases that that put together make you fear money or make you think You know, it's dirty, wrong, bad, make you uncomfortable with having more than what you need. And so even though you think you want to do well financially and have a lot of money, on some level, you will not let yourself get past the point of, you know, having more than what you need because that creates a a conflict with something that you believe. And so those beliefs will win out. So that's why apps are not the end-all, be-all. Right. And, And rant.
0: What are the levels of financial fitness? And how do you sort of gauge that? And if, let's say, I'm, quote, not making as much and whatever but I'm I'm starting to adhere to this am I in a better position than someone who might be actually saving and might, might be on the surface saving more quote unquote yeah. but have no clue where their money's actually going and so forth they just like through luck of the draw are actually doing correct things
2: yeah and so that's that's really not going to work out in the long run i mean that kind of chaotic random approach doesn't generally work out for people so financial fitness is sort of kind of like the first step the the thing is is it's not as complicated and hard as people think it's just you know i think the word the word system scares so many people right Mm. because you think of maybe technology but i try and explain it this way Imagine that you are an alien from outer space and you land here on Earth and you say, you know, I've heard of this thing called a restaurant and I would like to go to a restaurant. What do I do? How do I do it? And you say, "Okay, this is how it works. You walk in, you go to the host table, you tell them your name and how many people, they'll tell you how long the wait is. You stand there until they then lead you to your table, they'll hand you menus. Shortly thereafter, a server will come and take your drink order, and then maybe they'll give you some bread. And then you'll sit around and you'll look at your menu and decide the two things, you know, an appetizer and an entree. Okay, do you get where I'm going here? Mm -hmm. This explanation can take a while. There's a lot of steps to eating at a restaurant. But do you really think that that's a complicated procedure and you stress out every time you go into a restaurant? Like, OK, wait, let me get this straight. Do I tip first or do I order my drink first? Right. That's not really a question that you ever ask yourself. You just sort of know how it works. And so, yeah, once you know the system, that's exactly how it is. It's something as easy as eating at a restaurant.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great analogy. Can I jump back? So you had said something about how people are scared about money being bad. And I want to know, I think that credit cards get a very bad omen over them, like, credit cards are bad, don't ever get them. What is your take on credit cards? I love credit
2: cards. Yeah. But... Here's the thing, you have to know how to use credit cards, otherwise the credit card companies are going to use you. Got it. And most of us don't know how to use credit cards responsibly, and so the credit card companies use us, and it gets us into a lot of trouble, and so to the point where you think, oh shoot, they should just be avoided. No, I don't think they should be. But I never carry a balance, that's for sure. This is how a credit card company makes its money. First, every time you swipe or now put your chip in, they charge the merchant, I don't know, 3%, whatever percent that they charge. And then they charge you interest on balance, balances that roll over. And they know that the amount of money you're gonna spend is higher when you use a credit card. I, I don't remember the percentage, but there's like a significantly larger percentage of money that we spend when we use a credit card versus cash. So if you know those things, that you have a tendency to spend more when you're using credit and that they make money off of your interest and you avoid those things, then you're using credit cards to your advantage. So as long as you're you know, spending according to your budget, paying your bills, paying them on time, paying them in full, no credit card balances. When the bill is due, pay the whole thing. The problem is, is that people have begun to use their credit cards as their emergency savings account. You can't be financially fit also without a healthy savings account, especially an emergency account. So that's what happens. It's like some, you know, oh, I'm just I'm going to put this and that on the credit card, and then before you know it, it snowballs, and then you know, oh gosh, you 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 need new tires, and then you know, that's a couple thousand. I don't know, and before you know it, you've you're got financing this credi-
0: one credit card with another.
2: Right, and oh, swap. Out and That's like <laughs> the downward spiral.
0: Um, absolutely. I know. It's, it's uh, like, please don't day. stop.
2: No, I'm like
1: really intrigued.
0: In terms of getting a financial advisor, do you recommend one at what level? And are there any things to watch out for that yes. make a good financial advisor?
2: Yes and yes. Okay. Your very first financial advisor, this is going to sound cheesy, but is you only you know your values your priorities what's important to you yada 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 so that's why you learn about you know science of happiness and then oh yeah that part makes me happy i like that and this is what i'm going to spend money on so that i'm okay so you do all of that yourself then once you're financially fit and you want to go to the investment, protection, whatever level, you can seek out the help of a financial advisor. But you should know a couple of things. Number one, just because somebody is a financial advisor doesn't mean they're good with finances. We know many financial advisors that are a financial mess. Why that is, I don't know. But it's it's, it's just so... For <laughs> Not for everybody, I'm sure. Right. But just... Because somebody's a financial advisor doesn't mean that their finances are great, right? And just how you, when when you want to go to the gym and be trained, you want to be trained by somebody who is fit, right? Generally, I'd hope so, maybe. It's the Same thing. You'd want an advisor who themselves is, are fit. It's kind of weird to ask, like, how are your personal finances? But I... I don't think I would be afraid to ask that question because I'd want to know that they're they're good. They're, they're grounded. Second of all, financial advisors, wealth managers, can't remember the other names for these people. And I don't mean to diminish them, condescend, disrespect, but the reality is, is that they're salespeople. Financial advisor sounds much better than, I'm going to sell you an insurance plan that you don't really need, but I'm going to make a shit ton of money off of it. Right? Interesting. So... Uh, So you have to go in knowing that a financial advisor is a salesperson now. And they're going to try and sell you on products that aren't necessarily the best for you, but that pay them the highest commissions right? It's Freakonomics. Whatever the incentive is, the behavior will follow. So with general financial advisors, that's sort of the way the game is played. But if you find a fiduciary, then that changes the rules a bit. Fiduciary means that somebody has a responsibility to put your interests before theirs. So usually a fiduciary will not make money, won't make money off commissions. It's just, you know, fee-based.
0: What about that gray line where there's uh, some fiduciaries who also are brokers? Because there's that gray line.
2: I, hmm, well, I I mean, I think if they're operating, they can be a broker, sure, but if they're a fiduciary, I would think that, you know, that fiduciary duty um, doesn't go anywhere if you are a broker. So that's what I would do is I would ask, are you a fiduciary? You can go online and type in fiduciary financial advisors in my area and find out and and talk to them meet with them see uh, I know people don't want to go shopping for a financial advisor but this could be really important right go not even to, to interview them but meet with them and 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 hear their sales pitch understand that you're hearing a sales pitch and see if they're trying to just have you fit into their system see how many questions they ask you about your goals and not just the standard when do you want to retire and what's your risk tolerance no no no.
0: yesterday none by the way
2: if, if they're not asking you about what's important to you and if they're selling you on life insurance it can be great but it also can be a waste a terrible investment but life insurance policies pay out huge for financial advisors and brokers and things like that. And so they're incentivized to sell them to people, even to people that don't need them or where a different product would be better. So there's my thing on
0: so time curious. for one last question so oh, I'll let you uh oh
1: let
2: you man ask it. I was so I was so into that I can't even like I think I'll, I'll try and like go ahead and weave a couple of questions together and I'll just make one long answer I guess my
1: my my thing is investing in properties you know mm-hmm. when do you know is it time to buy a house or I mean if you already have a house when is it time to kind of make that next step is it necessary is investing in properties always a good thing is it a bad thing what are your what is
2: your take on that okay great question we've been sold on the american dream you buy your house but we are finding out now that it is not a good idea for everybody to buy a house if you have a kind of job that you may be moving across the country be terrible to be stuck with a house when you have to go live somewhere else there's lots of reasons why a house may not be a good idea i could have bought a house but i really like my teeny cozy little condo it's a great location and Because it doesn't have a lot of overhead, I get to use more money to travel, which is something that I value. So owning a house isn't for everybody. Is real estate a good investment? Yeah, I like real estate. It's not for everybody, but it is a good investment. It is how my grandmother went from a single mother of eight in Mexico knowing no English and having never gone to school, dying a multimillionaire. And it's how my mom went from that to a whole nother level. Um, she owns a couple of commercial buildings. So th- the question is, uh, unfortunately, a little too difficult to answer that now. But it's not an, a great investment for everybody, but if it is for you you know do it you've got you've got to look at the numbers you've got and and I would if I could I would spend less money on my primary residence and more money on rental you know properties you know with the stock market you you put money in companies that first of all some of these companies are doing terrible things to people on the planet and which makes me a little averse to the stock market but stocks can go up and down, whatever, people will always need a place to rest their head at the end of the day. And so in, in that sense, you know, real estate is a good idea. Um, but if you get a rental property, that will pay you, you know, over and over your house, which people think of as an asset is not an asset.
0: Because I mean, because you shouldn't you, be leveraging it's the a, place where you live. It's
2: a liability. Yeah. So, right. you know, if you have a big house, um, maybe you're like, okay, I should, you know, Leverage it, Airbnb, you know, roommates, and rent out the basement, know, whatever, whatever you can. I mean, most people have an investment property already. It's called their house or their condo, you know, that kind of thing where you can already use your asset Mm -hmm. to make you money.
0: Well, thank you as always, Chelsea. Chelsea Galicia, ladies and gentlemen. Financially Fit is the foundation. (sighs) Where can people go to find out more information?
2: FinanciallyFitFoundation.org. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. This was amazing.
0: All righty. I hope we get to do do a a follow-up.
2: Okay. (laughs) Deal.
0: So that was Allie and I's interview with Chelsea Galicia of the Financially Fit Foundation. Definitely check out our website and thank you guys for joining us. This is just part one of two of our exploration into the world of personal finance. In our next part, we will interview Katerina Kozias, whose background, apart from hosting, is in business communications. If you have specific questions you'd like to ask, tweet at Ali Nasta and at Phil Svitek using the hashtag OSK. Also, provided for you in the description box are various resources that Ali and I used when doing research into the world of personal finance that you can maybe benefit from. So definitely check those out and can't wait to have you for part two of our exploration in personal finance.